Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey guys, uh, this is Jordan from Dumpster Fire Cinema with Aaron. Hello. And earlier today, I posted a tweet about um, our 300th follower on Twitter and how we were going to do something, something special, although the tweet said something special, special, so I don't know if that makes a difference. Anyway, so our 300th follower ended up being Home Video Hustle. Um, I would highly, highly recommend these guys. Yeah, they, me too. They're hilarious. They're hilarious. Basically, they're just talking about movies that they've watched and basically just talking smack. And they're keeping it real while they're doing it. I love their voices. They're just, they're so cool and they're so smooth. So I would definitely check them out. They're, I think they're HVH podcast on Twitter. Um, I think they mostly stream from um, Podbean. So, so definitely give them a, a check out and, and listen to all their episodes. I mean, they, do you know what episode they're on right now? 36. 36. So they are way ahead of us. I listened to episode 36 today. It was uh, PJ is, I guess he hadn't seen any of the Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. So he just saw the, the Return of the Jedi for the first time and they're talking about it. It is so funny. Yeah, These I, guys crack me up. Which one did you watch? I listened to the Equilibrium, their very first episode and... Oh my God, there are just parts of it where they are cracking each other up and they keep calling Christian Bale Batman um, instead of actually calling him by <laughs> his awesome. name or they call him Christian Batman, which... Patrick Bateman. That would be where I would go with that immediately. Patrick Batman. <laughs> Patrick Batman. That's great. Oh my God, we got a sketch there. Yeah, we do. Uh, did you like Equilibrium? Do we need to do an episode about Equilibrium? No. no? It's like, uh, it's, uh, it's John Wick meets the Minority Report. Or them desperately trying to do the matrix as they kept saying in the uh, the yeah. podcast about how they just had several scenes that were very much like the matrix. So, uh, but definitely, definitely check them out. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm going to go and listen to the rest of the episodes because I want to hear them trash some of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. Welcome to Dumpster Fire Senate, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm here with my lovely co-host. Hi, I'm Aaron. And uh, we are talking about Empire Records, which we are super excited about, or at least I'm super excited about Absolutely. It. I love this movie. It's, it's great. It's great. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. So, like, picking it up and watching it again today, actually, was a real blast from the past. I got all these feelings of nostalgia because... I remember going to my best friend's house on the weekends and we would rent four or five different movies. But among those was Days and Confused, Practical Magic, and Empire Records. And we can we could quote those movies top to bottom. So watching it, I, I felt like I was 13 years old 
watching that movie and and falling in love with Roy Cochran all over again. So I really do draw a lot of parallels to Days to Confused with this film. Although I feel like maybe it's it's like in the future and it's a reformed Slater. Like he's cut his hair and now he's uh, like straight edge. Sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> this film was set firmly in the early 90s. 1995. When was this movie made? Well, it was made in 94 and it made came out in 90. I was six. You were six. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's great. <laughs> that's, great. that's so great. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I first watched this movie, it was with uh, my, my wife. Of course, she wasn't my wife then. That was 20 motherfucking years ago. Very fond memories. I watched this movie like a thousand times. Yeah. I was like that when I was a kid. And I did the same thing with Days of Confused. When I was a teenager, if I liked a movie, I would watch it over and over again. Just yes. till I could quote the thing. I don't know what compelled me to do that. I don't do that anymore. But this was definitely one of those films that I did that for. Well, it's kind of a... It there's a it's a feel good movie. I mean there's yes. there's there's hills and valleys, but but for the most part it's a feel good because when you get to the end of it, it's a it's got this magical moment that we'll get to, but it's just got this all this magic encapsulated in this hour and a half movie that you want to experience over and over again because uh, for me anyway, I could relate to most of those characters or I knew people like those characters yes i knew people like every single one of those characters so i just like i said i vividly remember sitting with my best friend and going they remind me of so and so oh my god you're so right they totally remind me of them and then you go to school the next day or or that following monday and you suddenly are i don't know like it just kind of gives you this feeling of like okay i can make it through life like these guys made it through that horrible day and and i can make it through mine like it, it doesn't really make sense but you know that's and, how it works. And that's another reason why I kind of say that this movie follows Days to Confuse because it's just it's just about a bad day, isn't it? Yeah, it you really know? is. It's it's just a slice of life yeah. for these well, people. At least I hope that that's a slice <laughs> of life. If this is the kind of shit that goes down every day, it's God. no wonder Music Town needed to step in and take over. They originally wrote it to be two days and then they cut it down to just one, which really? I'm kind of glad because... I don't know. I think you would have lost something if you extended this time. Just having it in one day, you learn so much about the characters and what they're going through. And it doesn't really divulge anything specific about their lives, but it's enough to where, I don't know, it just keeps the magic when it's just one day because they leave you with that and there's nothing else. And you're like, oh, well, I got to watch that again because it's just so great. I could see it being two days, but it's kind of cool that it's one. That's yeah. great. I, I love the pacing of this movie. I, I wouldn't want them to change anything about it. So I think they did the right thing for yeah. sure. Um, this movie was directed by Alan Moyle, which I haven't seen anything else that he's directed. And he's just got an obscure repertoire. He did stuff like Weirdsville, Say Nothing. He did a Michael Jackson TV movie. He did a movie called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater. That's a fantastic movie. I've never You've seen never it. You've never seen Pump Up the Volume? No. Watch Pump Up the Volume. It's so good. It's Is it? Okay, wait. Is it hot Christian Slater yes. or is it okay? Yes, okay, okay, it's okay. hot Christian Slater. Young, <laughs> very young. Okay, <laughs> uh, he basically runs a pirate radio station oh. um, in his neighborhood. It's kind of a suburban neighborhood kind of thing. You just watch it; it's so fucking good. You'll okay. you'll love it. Okay. Now it wasn't written by him. It was written by a woman named Carol Heikinen. She did the center stage movies. There's two of them. I I know you probably haven't seen them, but as somebody who heard of them. Well, as somebody who does theater and is exposed to musical theater, 
you kind of have to know about center stage. It, it basically centers around these kids who are, I don't know if it's like a school or if they're auditioning to get in this school. Anyway, it, it's kind of silly. I never really could get into it, but all of my friends really liked it. She also wrote a movie called The Thing Called Love, which had River Phoenix and Sandra Bullock, which I've never seen that. I've I never, haven't seen that either. I've never heard of it. So I'm not saying anything bad necessarily, but there's just not a whole lot that pops out with these movies except for Pump Up the Volume, which only one of us has seen. And then you've got such an amazing cast. Yeah, the cast is key here. And it's just so good. I mean, you've got Anthony Lapaglia. Am I saying his name right? I never... I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. So more recently, he did the Annabelle Creation movie. Yeah. But he was in Without a Trace for years. He was great in Without a Trace. Um, He was also in So I Married an Axe Murderer. He was like, uh, he was like his best friend, right? Yeah. I didn't know him before Empire Records. But then funny story, I was watching Tales from the Crypt. Um, and he was in an episode of that. He was like the cable guy who came and he was having an affair with this scientist's wife. And the scientist finds out and he switches their heads and puts them on different bodies. I've seen that one. There were a lot of episodes of Tales from the Crypt that there were kind of like that. Anthony Lepacaleo was really hot when he was younger. Um, and so watching the like th- watching him in this and seeing about like thinking about the other things he's been in, just thinking about that Tales of the Crypt episode just always cracks me up because he's just your typical kind of lug head. It almost starts out like a porn and it's just it's just very, very strange and obscure. Um, and then you've got, of course, Rory. speaking of strange and obscure, and then you've got Rory Cochran, <laughs> my husband. I'm sorry, Devin. He was so weird in this movie. Yeah. Just so I see. That's one thing that I didn't remember about, you know, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years. And one of the things that I didn't remember is just how bat shit fucking Lucas's demeanor was through this whole movie. He is, but it. The context clues of the dialogue from the other characters made it seem like this wasn't normal for him. Like, he's not really like this all the time. Right, right. They say all of a sudden you're some kind of Zen guru or something. And I get that. You're like the Chinese guy from Karate Kid. That's right. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but then we've got Liv Tyler, who's been in everything and anything. I mean, just throw a rock and you'll land on a Liv Tyler movie. But it wasn't like that when this came out. No, it wasn't. Um, most people just knew her as Steven Tyler's daughter. Well, she did all those Aerosmith videos. Yes, which and was she super was weird. kind of eye candy in those things, and she got really famous yes. because of that. Her and Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, that's true. They both went on to have pretty decent careers. Yeah, her and Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Who yeah. I I don't know. I haven't seen her in anything recently. You wouldn't recognize her now. She got plastic surgery. The I just ate a whole lemon face is gone. <laughs> The, the sour pucker Which is resting so bitch face she has. Because she's so pretty in this She's movie. still very pretty. She's gorgeous. In the, and she's so young and she's just like, oh, she's awesome in this movie. Yeah. And then we've got Robin Tooney. Yes. Who was in The Craft. She was in Prison Break. She was in The Mentalist. Yeah, she played Deb and she's my favorite. She was probably my favorite character in this movie too. I liked her a lot. She was the deepest character for sure. Although I did know a whole lot of people that were just like her in every way. And then we've got Johnny Whitworth, who plays the delicious AJ. Hot <laughs> off of uh, Boy Meets World. They really do kind of make him out to be kind of the dull, kind of clueless American boy. Yeah, no, I was, I I loved, I loved him. He was but, good. He was good. Sure. He was is, an artist. He's gluing quarters to the rug. 
That's his art. I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren. Warren. <laughs> oh, and Warren. Don't you love Warren? Brendan Sexton Third is his Whoa. name. Oh, Fancy. Um, and it's funny because I was looking at his IMDb page. He's done a movie every single year since like 1990. He's a one movie a year guy? What, yeah. What's he been in? Well, he was in Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank. He was in several episodes of The Killing. He was actually in Seven Psychopaths. He was a young Zachariah. He's just done a lot of fairly obscure stuff. He's done a lot of other you know things we might recognize, but not anything I remember. And then to top it all off. We've got Maxwell Caulfield, who plays the lovely and amazing Rex Manning. Rex Manning wasn't such a bad guy. Listen, I remember this <laughs> this movie making me think that Rex Manning was this big asshole. He's really not. Rex Manning is just jaded. He's a nihilist because he's been dealing with the fans for so long yeah. that he's just, he's dead. The public cored out this bad soul and <laughs> left nothing but a, a womanizer well he started out as a teenager right like in this in this story he started out yes. kind of as a teenager yeah, he was a child star he was on a show called the family way yeah it was kind of like uh the partridge family i'm assuming yeah i think so because she talks about him singing right. on the show so I, and there's I think, an album i think he's our film's david cassidy he kind of is up. maxwell caulfield was actually fairly good looking he was in greece too and it took me a minute to be like, oh, yeah, that was him in Grease 2. Which, I, I didn't even know they made it Grease 2. Yeah, well, as a musical theater nerd, you kind of learn this stuff. Um, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me- <laughs> <laughs> but he was a good looking guy. I mean, even in this movie, he's a little older, but he's he's still a pretty good yeah, looking yeah. guy. I, I don't think he looks bad in this movie. He's got, they kind of try to make him look like he's got a raccoon kind of spray tan thing yeah. going on, which, you know, it's fine. And the purple crushed suit that he's wearing. <laughs> I mean, they really do go out of their way to make him look like a an like idiot. an old washed up lounge singer type. You oh, know? for sure. For sure. And of course, everyone is laughing about, you know, the joke is, did you like Rex Manning's latest album? And <laughs> anyone that gets asked that just laughs. Oh, yeah. They oh, just yeah. burst into laughter. Yeah. Rex Manning can't catch a break. Hmm. So this only made 303000 in the box office. It was considered a flop. And I read a review that was basically, they called it a silly teen dramedy and that they were basically looking for an excuse to put out a cool soundtrack with a DVD. And I'm sitting there going, that's false, sir. You are false. Your yeah, whole existence I don't agree is with false. That. I don't agree with that at all. Although I do think whoever came up with that soundtrack and whoever yeah. uh, scored this thing is fucking brilliant because it does make the movie well and what's funny to me and i I wrote this in my notes i I feel like it was too good for the public and maybe that's why it flopped and this sounds so stupid coming from me because i'm a huge fan of the movie but i just feel like people didn't realize what they had they didn't realize what was like actually in front of them because it became such a cult classic i actually have a review that i found on imdb and it made me laugh a lot because it kind of goes with what i was feeling about it With the recent release of the special edition DVD of this film, which came out in 2003, and I hate it, but we'll get to that, um, I'd suggest you go watch it. Yeah, this movie is a light, fluffy Gen X teen movie with its music video moments. However, what was eight years ago just a normal teen movie has gained some semblance of social relevance. Compared to today's teen movies, this film can be seen as some sort of masterpiece. For one thing, you never see films anymore where teens are actually fighting for something except for a date to the prom. 
The characters in Empire Records, yes, are submerged in their overdramatic romantic escapades, but their main prerogative in the film is to prevent a large corporation from buying out their independent record store. Are there films that spark that kind of activist spirit in middle and high schoolers today? No, we're going backwards. And that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing because I can barely stand to watch teen dramas anymore. Like, it just makes me want to vomit because I'm like, that's not real life. Like, and obviously this movie is not real life either. Well, I think they kept the real sappy teen drama part to a minimum. I mean, really, it was like five minutes worth. Mm -hmm. An acceptable amount of love triangle. Well, everything else was just like these little vignettes about these characters. Like it wasn't. They were moments. Yeah, it wasn't just it was about a collection of of moments with these characters, kind of like Dazed and Confused, just like Dazed yes. and Confused. Yeah, it wasn't just about Lucas. It wasn't just about Joe. It was about everybody that was involved, even people like Eddie and Burko and just all of these like kind of obscure characters who, uh, if you didn't know, Burko was played by Coyote Shivers. I don't know who Coyote Shivers is, but I do know who Burko is. He's the goofiest <laughs> son of a bitch in the whole movie. Really? He, he's walking around with his guitar strapped to him all the time. I See, I knew a Burko. <laughs> I knew that guy. And yeah. he's insufferable. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew people like that, too. Or people who constantly had drumsticks and they're just, oh, like, drumming on aren't shit. Aren't those the worst And you're people. like... Stop. Fuck off, drummers. Go away. So if you haven't caught the concept of the movie, again, it centers around one day at this record store called Empire Records since 1969. Um, says it on the sign. And so the basically everybody's got their own dramas, but everybody is trying to save the store from being bought out by Music Town, which is a large corporation chain company. That's not the huge main part of the plot, but it's kind of an overarching part of it because that's kind of how everything starts. Because we open with Lucas, who has been deemed the responsibility to close the store. Bad idea. Which is a horrible idea. And everybody kind of knows it, but I think that Joe is is giving him the chance to to prove himself, which he just instantly fucks up. Joe's giving him the rules about what not to do. And then in the next scene, he's doing it all. He's he's holding his drumsticks. He's smoking his cigars. And he's drinking and his he's beer. he's drinking his beer. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, Lucas is just going out of his way to be a dick. In the midst of him doing all of this stuff and closing the store, he finds the contracts in Joe's desk about the Music Town franchise and when it's going to be taking over. And then he decides... The time to hesitate is through, which is a Doris quote, if you didn't know. Um, it's and if you from, didn't know, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and so he takes the money. He takes $9,104. He counted it twice because Joe, Joe told, told him, him to count it twice. Yeah. And he gets on his motorcycle and he drives to Atlantic City and he proceeds to bet all of it and then loses it. And well, all, all the people in the casino were like, Oh, you're so amazing. And then he lost his money and they're like, you're shit. (laughs) You're just shit. The girl hanging on his neck that very like five seconds earlier was like, baby, you are sex. You used to be cute. The thing is, is like he starts out with such good intentions. Like he he may not have a plan and he may not know what the fuck he's doing, but he's doing it for a solid good reason. I can understand how Joe can be upset with him, but for the most part, I'm like, oh, he's just, 
He's well, just got this heart of gold. So after he loses all his money in Atlantic City, we see Lucas on his little tiny motorcycle. <laughs> And he's, he's preparing to flee. He's like, oh shit, I fucked up. I am out of here. Tells AJ, I lost some money. And of course, AJ puts two and two together as to what happened. I don't regret the things I did. Only the things I haven't done. And he rides off on his motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good scene. I, I actually really like that. This is another Rory Cocker joint. I mean, he kind of makes this movie. Yeah. He's doing the Slater thing again, isn't he? Yeah, but in a more intelligent, less high way. He's wearing a black turtleneck and he's just being a, a little shit to Joe. And you kind of want to smack him, but he's at the same time, he's got this kind of guru kind of yeah. demeanor, this zen about him that you kind of feel like there's got to well, be an angle to it. He doesn't have anything else to lose. Like, I guess so. He just. I mean, he probably knows he's going to get fired or he knows that Joe is going to beat him up or whatever it is going to be. And so I think he kind of has this invincibility feeling to him. He feels he's just really aloof about the whole thing. And we don't know this at that point in the movie. Spoiler alert. Lucas is like an orphan and Joe took him in and has been supporting him and all this. He's got this long history with Joe. And I kind of wish that they would have established that earlier in the movie because they just kind of make Lucas look like a huge asshole without that context there. Well, I don't know. Because even when I first watched this movie, I didn't see it like that. I saw it as somebody who was trying to help out their boss. As soon as Lucas takes off, AJ and Mark are opening up the store. and um, Which we forgot to talk about him, but that's Ethan Embry. who Did you ever watch his show Freaky Links? No, I never watched Freaky Links. Oh my God, it was so good. I wish it stayed on for longer, but it was such a good show. <laughs> he was great. He was so good. So whose show was that? Ethan Emery. He's the Embry. He's the guy who plays Mark. Really? Yeah. Mark with a K. Right. Yeah. Um, but he, he spells it with C for his band because you know it's like... Always <laughs> play with their mind. <laughs> Another good quote from Rory Cochran. I, I did like I, I liked Mark a lot in this movie. Oh, he, he was, was he was a blast. He was great. The scene with Guar in it, where where he's eating the <laughs> the special brownies that Eddie gave him, and uh, lots of sugar. He said, <laughs> "Oh my <laughs> and god!" And he hallucinates being in a Guar video, which I thought was cool at the time because I was a huge Guar fan. I mean, he, I I still do like Guar. They terrify me. Like even just watching it, like just watching it in movie form i'm sitting there going god that's so scary like that's the stuff of my nightmares how is that entertaining i don't it's know it's theater i guess and so it, it is absolutely theater it would have score that looks like it would have been hella fun to film though like that thing just eating him and he's screaming at the top of his lungs i would i would literally kill anybody to be a roadie for guar <laughs> just to be working on the shit that they do oh are they it looks are like they still so a band fun. They are still a band. Their lead singer died a few years ago, but they've got oh, a new okay. one. They got a they got an old friend that was in the band a long time ago. And they ago all still dress back. like that? Uh-huh. Oh, they've been doing God. that for 25 years at least. Jeez. That's crazy. Anyway, so AJ and Thank Mark- you for uh, listening to the Guar episode of <laughs> Dumpster Fire Cinema. Um, so Mark and AJ are opening the store. Joe pulls up and they're like, oh, shit. Don't say anything. Trying to act all cool and suave. Hey, Joe. How's it going, Joe? And then we find out it is Rex Manning Day. That's right. Friggin' Rex Manning Day, which 
He's coming to the store to sign autographs. I guess this is still New Jersey, but for a small town New Jersey, you can definitely tell that Rex Manning's grasping at straws, trying to hold on to his career if they're like, oh yeah, you can definitely go to this obscure record store to sign autographs. Yeah, you never want to find yourself on the record store circuit. No, no. But then um, he goes inside and Joe realizes the money is missing and they have a perfectly placed Hey Joe song right yeah, in there. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Which Joe is like, where's Lucas? Where's Lucas? And they're like, oh, we don't know. And then we cut to the introduction of uh, Liv Tyler and Renee Zellweger's characters, Corey and Gina, who are the quintessential high school girls who are giggly about Rex Manning Day. And we find out that Corey... <sighs> Bless her heart, 17-year-old baby Corey is going to give herself to Rex Manning. Okay, don't get me wrong. I've had celebrity crushes before. And I have my quote-unquote list. Obviously, I play celebrity bingo uh, while yeah. I'm here. Oh, and- <laughs> wait. Should we fill in a square for this one? Or is it going to be Rory Cochran again? Oh, no. It's, it's Rory Cochran It's still again. Rory Cochran. It's, I mean, we could put Johnny Whitworth on there if we want to, but... Well, we don't have to force this thing. No, we but can- it's, it's definitely Rory Cochran again. Okay. Um. Anyway... Put your markers away, guys. (laughs) So if we, if I got to be alone in a room with Rory Cochran, you better believe I would not be throwing myself at him. I would probably be sitting in a corner, keeping to myself until he spoke to me. And then I'd be like, what? What'd you say? Hi. Like, I'm not just going to be like. You wouldn't go in there and strip off your schoolgirl skirt. (laughs) She just basically is like. I'm going to strip off my clothes and hope that he doesn't call the police or call my boss. Like, yeah. Anyway. And, and he still manages to fuck it up. Oh, God. Then we find out that AJ is madly in love with Corey and he is going to tell her at 1.37 p.m. exactly. It's a good time. It's an excellent time. We also kind of find out that Joe is kind of the resident psychiatrist for all of these teenagers. Right. Um, This is Joe's house for wayward weirdos. (laughs) It is. It really is. It is. Because he's kind of, he's just the dad figure. And everybody comes to him with their problems. And of course, he goes to them and he's always like, hey, if you're in trouble, you can always talk to me. You know, because he's a good boss. Like, yes, he's tired of their stoner shenanigans, but he loves them and he loves that that they are running his store and despite the fact that Lucas has completely screwed him over right now I've always wanted to have a boss like Joe yeah yeah he seems like a pretty cool guy to work for he's like a teddy bear in this movie he's very lovable and of course he gets on real well with Jane yeah Jane is great I love her what's the actress's name that plays Jane I don't know how to pronounce it and I'm not gonna butcher it here Debbie Mazar is Debbie her name Mazar. Debbie Mazar we've seen in a billion things okay but the only thing that I think about whenever I see her is playing that evil bitch Regina in Beethoven 2 see for me it's Goodfellas oh yeah she was in Goodfellas wasn't she yeah she I was also on this is Spinal Tap and God, like I say, a million other things. Yeah. Uh, striking eyes. She's oh, my God. She's got the yes. Mila Hovavik eyes. She's really great. She's good in everything she does. She always kind of plays bit parts, but she's fantastic. Yeah, she's she's great. She's kind of, you know, very loosey-goosey in this one. She's not her normal, like, uptight, New Jersey That's girl right. type. That's right. She's Well, everyone in this movie's. I mean, come on. This, this is a John Hughes movie, right? 
basically. This is yes. a John Hughes the movie. Not John she Hughes plays movie. a John Hughes character <laughs> in this movie. Everyone kind of does. That's yeah. So then uh, we move along. The store's opening. They do. Seems I never get enough of me. Which was my theme song, like every day driving to school. And me and my best friend knew all the words and danced around like crazy people. That was our that was our song. It was great. One recurring theme in this movie is they're always fighting over what song is playing in the store. Yep. It, this comes into play a lot. And this kind of gives them the opportunity to blast through a playlist yeah. of really good songs. So that's one of the one of the cool little mechanics that make this movie so great is the little war. For, yeah. For the, the radio. Yeah. But you, then you have veto power. Right, right. Maybe I want to be sterile. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. I and, love it so much. And I don't know what's going on at Empire Records the other six days of every week, but today is just a shit day for everyone. For it really some is. It really is. Now, it starts out kind of tame. I mean, there's there's an exciting thing that happens. Corey finds out she's going to Harvard, which is bad for AJ, and it's bad for Gina because- right. AJ is in love with her and doesn't want her to go. And it's bad for Gina because it's her best friend. And Gina doesn't have the same opportunities that Corey has. Because she's a slut. Turbo (laughs) slut. (laughs) I don't understand that. Like, I mean, obviously that wasn't her only problem. Which is funny to me because, yeah, she might get around, but she's also incredibly smart. They wrote the dialogue for her and the things she says, that's not somebody who's a ditz. That's not somebody who's stupid. But I think she uses her sexuality and the, like her, you know, revealing clothing to, to kind of cover up the fact that she is so smart. Well, I think they're, they're trying to put forth that she's kind of street smart. You know, she's, she's been around the block. She she's uh taking some licks and she's kind of wiser as opposed to Liv tyler's you know goody girl kind of yes. thing that they've got going on yeah basically exactly. Liv tyler's the princess uh, yeah and you know they they kind of butt heads with each other because of that they they use it as a point of drama which is funny because i related more to gina not because i was like a turbo slut in high school that's <laughs> not what i meant <laughs> No, but it's it's more it more goes to the fact that Gina is just she's comfortable in herself. She's comfortable with her sexuality. She's comfortable wearing revealing clothing. And yes, nobody wants to be labeled a slut. Nobody wants to be thought about that. And obviously, we're in a time where slut shaming is kind of frowned upon. But in that in the 90s, that was still a no, no thing. You don't just sleep around with people, which we don't actually know if she just sleeps around with everyone she knows, but that's the vibe that you get off of her is that she's very experienced. Yeah. Well, and also we pretty much see her sleep with everyone she knows. No, it's not true. We only <laughs> see her sleep with one person, but it, I think it's kind of implied that she's kind of made it around the, the shop too. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this and we keep saying quotes all the time, but this is such a quotable movie. Yes. I mean, like... Again, me and my best friend, I mean, we just went around saying stuff like, who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. And it just, there are just so many magical moments where Lucas opens his mouth and things come out and you're like, that was awesome. Yeah. I don't know what it meant, but it was awesome. Yeah. Lucas has a lot of good quotes. Eddie. Eddie's hilarious. Oh, Eddie's And of great. course, uh, Warren fucking Beatty, <laughs> who I love. I think... Just the whole character, Warren's character, is is like the coolest thing ever. So, yeah, this kid comes in. 
and Lucas spots him and he's asking him how he's doing. And then he's like, the fat man walks alone. <laughs> and he's like, he's just getting what? in his head. He's like, what are you, some kind of weirdo? <laughs> <laughs> he's got this big magnet and he's put the magnet to the CDs. It's yes. like this comically huge, like Acme brand magnet. Yeah, and then and then the guy takes off running, and Lucas chases after him. Which then we have amazing commentary from Gina uh, over the PA. Over the PA, and yeah. the other cool thing about this movie is that I feel like this store is very beloved by everybody in this town because it's there is a constant stream of people. First of all, and second yeah, of all, there's actually people at a record store. Yeah, weird. Huh? Yeah, and second of all, I feel like everybody. I don't know. You see like these little again, these little vignettes of people rocking out in the in the sound booths or rocking out in the aisles or just having a good time. And and you just see like, again, first, it made me want to work in a record store and then it made me want to go to a record store, which I still do. I mean, there's not very many of those around anymore. Corey and Gina are having this conversation and Corey is putting on that red bra that Gina let her borrow and the way that they're talking, it seems like Rex Manning and Corey are going to get married. Like they're just, she's just like, oh, yeah. the perfect guy and the perfect girl and the perfect union. And Gina is obviously very jealous, but it's awkward. Like they both have this look on their face like, oh, I feel like, I, I don't know. Like you just get this vibe of just uncomfortableness and watching it again as, as an adult, I'm I'm kind of like, Oh, man, that is really awkward. She's like, oh, you're 17. Like, she's an old maid. Yeah. Like, no, she's still a child. She's still a baby. And she's going to give herself to this old man. Yeah. <laughs> like, how is that in anybody's mind even sane? It's not. No, it, there's clearly something very weird going on with Corey. They don't talk about it. I don't guess. I mean, she's obviously going through some shit. Well, she's very, um, she's very smart. She's going to Harvard. She has to get good grades. She obviously is getting a lot of pressure from her parents. I don't know. I, I never, I never really could connect with Corey. No, there was nothing she about just seems, her. She just seems insane. There was nothing about her that I was like, oh, I totally know what she's going through. Like, I just, I could never relate to her. Well, yeah, and I think they're kind of, they do kind of try and make it seem like, uh, like she's not relatable. I don't think they really, I don't think she was framed up that way. Yeah, and and maybe they did that on purpose because, you know, Gina makes this point of talking about how she's just this perfect goody two-shoe, everybody loves her type thing. And maybe that's just the way they wanted her to be portrayed. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just in a... Well, that's the wall that they built up for her so they can knock it down at the end of the movie, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. Which we'll get to that point. And then we are introduced to Deb. Yes. Love Deb. Deb is great. Robin Tunney. She's so great. Um, which, sadly enough, I feel like I turned out to be more like Deb than anything. Oh, no. Don't be Deb. <laughs> Just. Do you need help? Oh, no. Oh. Not, not, not in the suicidal way, but just in the, like, she's. I don't know. She's got a lot going on. And we don't really know what. We know that her mom's gone. She rides a moped. She rides a cool moped. Um, she comes in and decides to shave her head, which was just random. Um, but at the same time, I think it kind of shows that she's just done with life. She's like, "Mm -mm, I don't care. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I do. I'm just going to do this thing. Also for the 
shock me, shock me, shock me with that Sinead rebellion. <laughs> that it's- was a good line. You know, the, the thing about it is, is that's an awkward scene. And I, I don't know if it was supposed to be that way, but there's this weird silence where you can just almost see the director off in the corner somewhere looking at Renee Zellweger like, say your fucking line, you know? <laughs> I swear that's what happened. I, I, I don't know why they cut it I, the way they did, but it just seems so weird. But as an actress, like watching her, I it just takes a lot of bravery to be like, I'm going to shave my head on screen. Like you watch her do the whole thing, cut everything off and shave it. And like, it's just very... It was a good opportunity. Like I say, yeah. she's probably the best actress in this film. Uh, best actor in general in this film. And uh, I think it was it was really cool. No one else in this cast would have been able to pull off Deb. Oh, no, no, for sure. And then, you know, she's coming out of the bathroom, freshly shaven. And AJ notices a bandage around her wrist. And he's like, what the hell is that? And she says a line that you're going to laugh about this, but she says, I went to rock and roll heaven and I wasn't on the guest list. That was my MySpace tagline for years, forever. I just, I felt, again, I was just this. (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you you were going to laugh. You were right. Sorry. I was just this depressed emo child and I was like, oh, Deb gets me. I get Deb and it just. I was the same way at the time, too. Oh, God. Deb was kind of the most relatable for, I think, probably most of us. Oh, I If agree. we were watching it as teenagers. Like, today, it's like, oh, fucking another one of these bitches. <laughs> but, you know, back then, when you're a kid. Because it certainly doesn't strike me the way it did back then. Because, you know, back then, it just seemed like this rebellious movie. And now I watch it, and it's like, these guys are all nerds. Yeah, that's what it looks like now. But they're cool at the same sure. time. Like, oh, you, yeah, they're cool. You, but I they're remember, just nerds. I remember watching this movie and going, I wish that I could be that cool in myself. Like, I wish that I could. Well, it's like, it's kind of like a Norman Rockwell portrait. It doesn't really yeah. exist. It reflects this uh, culture that's not even a real thing. But it makes you wish it was. Right. You know, same with Dazed and Confused. Although, I, I would say that maybe it's a little bit closer to reality. What, Days to Confused? Yeah. Really? I think there's more chance of a bunch of stoners having a party at the Moon Tower than there is a, <laughs> a record store where people are stripping down naked in the middle of the store. It was AJ. Was it AJ? Yeah. And then we're introduced to a character named Eddie, who, um, he looks really gross to me like he looks like he desperately needs a shower but he's cool as hell he just doesn't give a fuck what he looks like he's very just he's the slater of this movie he cut oh my god he totally is because he gives weed brownies to everyone and he knows a ton about music and records like he's all about the vinyls he is he is the in-house vinyl expert yeah right Big music snob. Yeah. They even have an after credit scene. Do you remember the after? Did you no. see the after credit scene? Well, it's like during the credit. Him and Mark are talking about uh, Black Flag and the Pixies. and. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was in the movie somewhere else. I watched the Blu-ray edition. Well, they came out. I mean, we, we I had mentioned this before, but in 2003, they came out with a special remix edition, which adds in all of the deleted scenes. I don't like that version. Which scenes does it add in? Because I'm not sure what I've seen. So there's a scene where um, Eddie is talking 
to AJ on the stairs and he's talking about, do you actually know where Boston is? Like it could be, it's like a completely different planet. Like there's a bunch of just. So that scene was cut from the theatrical release. Yes, it was. Then I have only ever seen that version. (gasps) Weird. Yeah. I, because I just recently bought the original version and it doesn't have that scene in it. And it's funny to me because in the special edition DVD, they add in stuff like that, but then they take out other scenes. Oh, my God. There's scenes I haven't seen. But there's. Yeah, man. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'll have to I'll have to give you or I'll have to show you the original version. I had no idea that there was two cuts of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. You'd think as somebody a huge a fan as I am, like I would love it in whatever form, but I don't like the special edition. I feel like they just add in stuff that I'm like, oh, that's not, that's weird. I don't like it. But then we're introduced to Rex Manning. The actual real life Rex Manning comes in with his assistant Jane and, you know, we find out that he got a really bad haircut, which. They cut it too short. Yeah, they cut it too short. And he's, you know, coming in to sign autographs and everybody's just kind of, you know. The, the tone of the movie kind of changes from here because now we've got an intruder. There's somebody here that doesn't belong and it's Rex Manning and everybody except Corey thinks that he's an idiot. Like they're just like, oh God, Rex Manning. I mean, there's a whole conversation between Lucas and Warren where Lucas is like, who's your favorite singer? And he says, Axel. And Lucas asks him, he says, if Rex Manning had a flat on the side of the road, would Axel Rose stop to help him? And then Warren jumps in and he's like, no, man, no, Axel would get behind the wheel and he'd just run that fool over. Like He's so right. Yeah. And so everybody just can't stand Rex Manning. But again, I, I think I kind of agree with you. Watching it as an adult, I almost kind of feel sorry for him. Like he's just kind of getting the shit end of the stick that day. And I don't really think that Rex Manning does anything particularly awful in this movie. You know? No, because he's, he's not an asshole to anyone. I mean, there were some parts where he was an asshole. I mean, there were things that he said or things that he did. Like, there's one part where he's signing a picture for a fan's daughter. Right. And she says, it's not for me. It's my mom. I have no idea who you are. And he says, uh, well, does she still have all of her teeth? And yeah, I'm like, but that was like part of this whole thing where they showed like the woman come up and she's like, <laughs> <laughs> you you had my favorite album back in the 60s and he's like really and she's like oh now too yeah you're and my then the old lady the, this really old oh lady God. comes up singing say no more or mo no more at an opera style <laughs> you know it was a gag i don't think that counts yeah well and and i think that he's just he's obviously he's meant to personify like big music not the empire records type people but more the music town kind of yeah well and i think at the same time the man right damn the man damn the man damn the man i think at the same time he's also just reacting to the circumstances around him because he's coming into a sea of hormones and a sea of everybody having a horrible day and so we're coming to the part where it's time for rex's lunch And Corey comes in and she says, Joe, my most favorite boss in the world. I need to bring Rex his lunch. And he's like, no, Burko's going to bring him his lunch. And it just goes through this whole thing. And she's finally like, I'm bringing Rex his lunch. And he's like, "Yeah, she's not taking no for an answer. Right. So then she goes to the back room and she sets up this table and she's all like feeling herself. She's getting all sexified. And Rex very obviously does not like he's not going in there thinking oh i'm gonna have sex with this girl like he's going in there to eat lunch and it's only until Corey's like 
I'm not a baby anymore. And she's taking off all of her clothes. And he's like, this is happening now. Like, this is okay, fine. But then he fucks it up because I just don't know what she was expecting. Like, they're in a back room of a record store. Yeah. She's presenting herself to him. And and all he while does. While he's eating lunch. Yeah, and he unzips his pants. Well, no. And that's it. No, because he, like, he asks her, are you sure you want to do this? And she's like, oh, definitely. Because I'm thinking that she's expecting it to be romantic. Right. And he, like, takes her in his arms and he's just, you know, all of this stuff. But then he, un- like, he leans back. He doesn't even take the fucking napkin out of his shirt. <laughs> And he unzips his pants and he's shaking the dressing bottle and he says, I hope you like the taste of blue cheese, which makes me think that he was expecting her to give him head. That was not in the version I saw. That's what upsets her because he's just totally like. He's just a creep about it. Yes. Well, that that makes so much sense. And then she's like, oh, that's disgusting. And she runs off. To the viewers out there, it has become increasingly clear. That Jordan and I have not seen the same film. <laughs> because that's a bombshell to me. The the blue cheese thing. In the theatrical version, he, sh- he just shakes the bottle and he's just very nonchalantly is like, I hope you like the taste of blue cheese. You that's know. disgusting, by the way. Right? <laughs> but that was not in the version I saw. That's they interesting. Cut that, they cut that out. Oh my god, that's funny. That's weird. That's so funny. Well, then you know Corey's hopes and dreams are all shattered to bits, and she runs to the roof, and she's crying, and she's like, "Oh, I just made a fool of myself, poor little me." And AJ is like, "Oh, it's destiny." She comes up to the roof at one thirty-seven p.m., and he basically tells her that he loves her, and she's like. Well, I don't see you that way. And I just threw myself at Rex Manning and I'm just made a fool of myself. And AJ's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Okay. And then he leaves. And then pretty much from this point on, everybody does the worst thing they could possibly do. Yes. It, everything starts to kind of fall apart here. Yeah. All the innocence is gone. Everything is, you know, starting to come to a head. Like, you know, in in the midst of all of this happening, we still have Joe who doesn't know what to do because the $9,000 is gone. Mitchell Beck, the asshole owner of the store, is hounding him for the money. And Lucas, like, there's there's no solutions. And you see Joe just getting more and more worked up. Like, he's just freaking out because what is he going to do? What is he going to say? You know, and if he calls Mitchell, the cops are going to come. And if he doesn't, then he's going to get in trouble. And there's just all of this stuff. You just feel the stress building yeah. throughout the day. Well, then Corey goes out to lunch with Gina. And Gina's basically like, oh, don't worry about Rex. There'll be another guy. And Corey, on this track of destroying her friendships and her life, she tells Gina, I'm not like you. I don't I don't need to do what you do with other guys. And Gina's like, what are you saying? I got to do every guy I see. And Corey's like, well, you seem to enjoy it. Yeah, they just get real bitchy. This is the part I was talking about. The five minutes of love triangle drama. Yeah. Which they plow through mercifully. Yeah. And then, then Gina does something. At the store, she's talking to Rex Manning. And she's telling him that she knows the kind and the color of his underwear. It's a talent she's got. It's a hidden talent that she's got. 
and this proceeds of this awkward exchange of them going to the back room and having sex on the copier. Um, and she was right about the underwear, which is she was right about the underwear. As a teenager, I was like, "Oh, Gina's such a bitch! I can't believe that she would do that." But as an adult, I'm kind of like, "I don't blame her." Really? Yeah. I I guess it's just the whole fact that Corey was like so mean to her, and I mean, it what what Gina did was still shitty. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, she just totally blatantly went behind her friend's back and had sex with this guy that she's been dreaming about for all of her life. So yes, it's still shitty, but as an adult, I'm like, there, uh... there are people out there who do that habitually. Everyone knows somebody like that. It's really hard to get on her side. I don't know though. I just, maybe I'm a bitch for saying it, but I feel like kind of Corey kind of deserved it. So either you know a bitch like that or you are that bitch. <laughs> I'll leave it up to the audience to decide which yeah. Jordan is. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'm joking. That's fine. It's a dick move. Yeah. Dick move for sure. But I guess in a way it's probably good because Rex Manning, he ain't no good for her. <laughs> he, he from the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> he just go break your heart, girl. Well, okay. So then everybody comes to the back room and they're looking for Gina and Rex and everybody sees them come out of the copy room. They got straight busted. Oh, they sure did. And uh, AJ proceeds to fight for Corey's honor, who just broke his heart. And uh, yeah, AJ tackles and beats up Rex Manning. Yeah, but then Rex Manning gets in a bitch punch. Yeah, but I mean, still great effort, you know. I mean, Rex Manning's a big fucking dude. Yeah. Good on, good on AJ. Man. I just, I just remembered a difference in the two, the two cuts. So okay. in, in the theatrical cut, Rex punches AJ, and Joe tells him, you know, get the hell out of my store, and all of them say, you know, your haircut is stupid, and your album is dumb, and we hate you, and blah blah blah, and that you're just a wash up has been, and he's like, maybe you're right, and he leaves. In the special edition cut, he says, why don't you all just fade away yeah that's that's exactly what he says yeah and but it's, it's really stupid because it's not in the original he said cut. maybe you're right so he has a bit of a come to jesus moment yeah ah. and then he leaves and rex manning is out of their life but then it's not over the drama begins it's just yeah everything that could possibly happen happens it falls apart Corey is basically like, I hate you. Why would you do that? Are you just going to screw everybody till your tits fall off? And then Gina's like, oh, yeah, says the pill popping speed freak. And she goes to Corey's cubby and she takes out the speed pills and she's just like pelting them at her face. Yeah. Just like your perfect face and your perfect body. and She really laid into her. She did. That was crazy. Because you see Corey taking pills throughout the whole, like most of the movie. Anytime she's having stress. She pops a pill. And you don't really know what it is until Gina says it's speed. Right. Um, diet pills. Diet pills. Yeah. Um. So then Joe makes Gina leave. And Joe goes down to Corey very nicely and says it's going to be okay. And she jumps up and she loses her ever-loving mind. Yeah. She loses her mind. And, and outside of the office... Somebody, I can't remember who it is, decides it's a good time to play Say No More or Mona More. 
And Corey runs out of the back room and she's destroying the Rex Manning display. Just, I hate you. And it takes three dudes to like struggle to get her down. But then you see this really sweet moment where Deb decides to take care of Corey, which is a big deal for Deb because Deb doesn't do that for anyone. Deb is sad and depressed and she's having issues at home and she's having issues with Burko, who is her boyfriend. And so Corey freaks out and Deb takes her to the bathroom, washes her face and she doesn't baby her. She doesn't, you know, oh, you poor little thing. She just tells her the truth. She's like, did you really want to have sex with Rex Manning yeah. in the copy room? She's like, is that how you pictured your first time being? You know, your, yeah. your feet pounding up against the paper. and <laughs> Yeah. And at all, all the while, she's taking a piss. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but I just love how real it is. Like, she's not like, oh, yeah, you're right. Gina's a bitch. Like, she's just like, hey. Yeah, we finally get an actual, like moment of humanity for one of these characters because they're all just cartoon characters up until this point right right yeah exactly and and so i just i loved that part of it and then from there the truth everybody has spilled their truth the like everybody is being completely honest with each other and that's when things start to go back up to a high like back up to where they're supposed to be because now joe is like i have to call mitchell we have to end this and that's when Warren comes back. So Warren comes back to the record store for revenge. <laughs> He's got a, a big ass revolver loaded with blanks and he starts <laughs> shooting up the place. <laughs> and and, uh, and everybody comes out. The whole staff comes out. and Well, it was Joe first and then it was Deb. And then everybody's kind of in the back and he's like, my name is a fucking warren yeah they keep calling him warren he's not his name's not warren no he just told him his name was warren Beatty, and everyone called him warren which is great yeah it's a great gag yeah um his name isn't warren his name isn't warren i thought his name was warren yeah, right right um, i don't think we ever find out what his name actually no we is. don't it's warren they um, even make him a name badge his whole thing is that you know I came in and stole a couple CDs and I get arrested, but Lucas steals $9,000 and you don't do jack shit to him, you know, and now are you going to give me a job? And it comes down to the fact that Warren really just wants to work at the record store and he doesn't feel like he's good enough because he, you know, he admires everybody. Everybody to him, to, to Warren... I feel like in a way, like I'm kind of Warren, like I'm looking at them going, you're so cool. You're so awesome. Like you all are great. And I just want to be a part of this. And I think that's, I think that's the ultimate, the overall feeling of, of nostalgia that I have is that I would, we just want to be a part of something that cool, Yeah, you know, with people who are just kind of freaks, kind of weirdos, but they live their lives the way that they want to and they speak their truth and 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 that to me i feel like we're all worn in that sense of we just want to we just want to belong we just want to we just want to be part of an awesome group like that i think uh, i think you're right i think deep down inside we're all a little worn <laughs> it's true so so they talk him down they take his gun they tell him you know you can work here we'll give you a job when you get out of when jail. you get out of jail yeah so basically they bring him into the fold they they accept him warren's story in this movie is my favorite part of the whole thing well and it's funny because there's there's two times that he's taken out by police officers the first yeah. time for shoplifting and everyone's like 
God, this asshole kid, just get him out of here. Don't drop the soap. Like, <laughs> like everybody's just very annoyed with him. But the second time the cops take him away, everyone's like, bye, Warren. We'll see you later. You know, don't behave. Like, everyone's just very concerned about Warren this time around. And I think because there was that long period of time that they spent with him and they know that he's not a bad kid. He's just kind of stupid. Right. Like there's I think a, I think they probably all see a little of themselves in Warren. Oh yeah. I mean there's a part where um you know there's quarters on the ground for whatever reason. Oh, Joe knocks them out of Lucas's hand. And um AJ has super glued them to the floor and Warren is just trying with everything he has to get those quarters off. He's like, "Who glued these quarters down, man?" And it's just <laughs> I don't know. He just has these, again, these little vignettes of things that you're just like, oh, just such a well-written character. Just obscure, yeah. but also really well-written. Well, he's an ancillary character. He doesn't really have anything to do with any of these people, but he comes in and Warren's story adds a whole lot to this movie. It I does. Think, I think if not for Warren, this movie would have been that much less uh, interesting. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, then, you know... A guy comes into a store, obviously police are going to be there, and then the news outlet comes, and we see everybody giving money to Lucas, and they're like, we're trying to help you out, you know, here's some money, here's something you can hawk, we want to make sure that you get out of this in the best way possible, um, and then Mark... It's important to note at this point that Lucas still hasn't explained himself to anyone. No, but here's the thing, though, is that he tells them that he didn't have a plan. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. He just, he thought that he could take the money to Atlantic City and win it and save the store and everyone, oh, Lucas is a hero, but... Well, he wanted to save the store. Right, because that's... But he hasn't told anybody anything yet. No. He's just sitting there making smug remarks at everything that goes on. Taking couch cushions with him. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He takes the couch cushion whenever he leaves because Joe told him to stay on the couch. Right. Which is great. Yeah, but I, I think... He's so passionate about it. And then he does this brave slash dick move because that store is really all he knows. And Joe, too. You know, this is one thing that I never got when I first watched it. Here's the thing. This movie has a plot that is so flimsy that it's almost as thin as dazed and confused in the end it's vaguely implied that lucas knew that joe wasn't happy Mm -hmm. and so he just had to shake everything up i mean that's the closest thing we have to an explanation for any of lucas's behavior but again like dazed and confused i don't feel like you need this complicated plot because it's certainly not it's character driven I feel like if you'd had too much of a complicated plot, you wouldn't have needed such interesting characters. Like the characters are what drives the day. They they drive the story along and they have this, again, this overarching story plot of trying to save the store that pulls them all together because they love Joe and they love the store. Mark and Burko and AJ are talking about the money and... They're like, AJ basically says something like, if I had $9,000, I still wouldn't work here. And Burko's like, yeah, you would. You would still work here if you had $9,000. Like, it's, everybody loves it there. And so, I mean, that's that's the camaraderie that comes with it. But I having an overcomplicated plot is not necessary here. No. Uh, and, and that's where I kind of argue the same way I argued with uh, Dazed and Confused. Why bother with it at all? Let it be a character study. It's so hard to think about this movie as not being a Link Ladder movie. You know, I kind of, 
I kind of had to come to terms with that at one point in my life because yeah. I always just assumed it was a Richard Linklater movie <laughs> until I found out it wasn't many years after. Yeah. I mean, it, this really is, it stays confused in the 90s. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, you even got a van full of stoners that pull up. Yeah, that's true for the party. Yeah, which Mark sees the news crew outside and this is the like Mark saves the day type thing because he runs outside. He tells everybody, hey, we're going to have a live band. We're going to be selling stuff. It's free admission. There's going to be beer. Damn the man. Save the empire. And everybody in this neighborhood comes to Empire Records. It's like instantly packed. Yes, there's bikers, there's grandmas, there's stoners, there's jocks. Everybody in this town comes to this record store. Some guy buys a giant Alice in Chains poster. He totally does. It's enormous. He does. I, I, it's just weird. AJ sold it for 80 bucks. Did you hear what he said? No. Yeah, he's like, yeah, for 80. And the guy just, just buys it for 80 bucks. Like... Fucking A. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, I don't know. Like, it's a cool poster. I it like is a cool poster. poster. So, Corey decides to throw this funeral for Deb. Um, and basically, it's Deb laying on this table and everyone's surrounding her, giving her reasons as to why she should stay. And in the midst of that, people are kind of forgiving each other. Gina comes back and her and Corey make up and everyone's just kind of letting their feels out at this point. And we see Deb kind of break down and tell everybody what happened. She takes the bandage off of her wrist and she, you know, tells everybody that she tried to kill herself with a Lady Bic razor with a, with a moisturizing strip. And, you know, it's just very, um, I don't know. I feel like, and, and this is just my emo side talking, but I kind of wish that we could do that for our friends. Like, just have like a living funeral and everybody stand around and talk to them about why they're important and why they need to be here and just boost up their self-esteem a little bit maybe that's just the hippie emo feely person inside me but please don't do that to me please (laughs) here lies Aaron. i don't want that if we ever have suicidal friends, that's what we need to do. We'll just have a living funeral oh, for them. Just make sure they fucking kill themselves. That's great. Let's do that. Oh, my God. Let's do that. Let's give them a living funeral no. so they'll know how shitty their friends are. Oh, that totally kill backfired. Themselves. Thanks a lot. <laughs> if you do that, I'm just going to kill myself right there. <laughs> nope, not having it. Is this Run. one of those Empire <laughs> Records things? No, fuck that shit. I'm out. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so everybody from the neighborhood comes to Empire Records and they're giving money and drinking beer and Coyote Shivers is playing a song, which we see Gina sing and Renee Zellweger's got a great voice. Sugar High. By the way. Cool song. Yeah. Everybody thinks that her first singing debut was Chicago, but it was Empire Records. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Um, so every, like, and the money's just flowing and then we see Mitch. 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 What a son of a bitch. Yeah. And he's just like, what the hell is going on, Joe? I feel like I'm getting screwed over. And Joe's like, that's because you are. You're getting screwed over. And he basically tells him that he's going to, he's quitting and he's going to open his own store. And then he gets this barrel full of money that, because Deb just basically sets up this sign that says, give us give money. Give us your money. <laughs> and and they do. And people are stuffing money in the barrel. Yeah. And he gives it to... She's just sitting there with a scowl on her face in front of it. People are throwing money at her. So uh, Joe takes the barrel and he gives it to Mitch and he says, here's your money. Count it. And then Mitch is like, you know what? I hate this place. You love it. I don't understand it. And I don't want any part of it. 
Mitch does the the right thing in the end, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, he does. I Mitch mean, is kind of the hero of this movie, isn't he? It was Mitch, guys. He should have been dancing on the rooftop with somebody. Why does everybody else? Wouldn't that be get hilarious? Though, the, like, if Mitch was there <laughs> yeah. dancing with Warren. <laughs> 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 that would be so funny. Yeah. I'd, I'd lose. I need a cut of that in the movie. Um, but yeah, so then everything is just kind of ended it's, on a good note. It's the Tuesday's Gone moment of this movie, right? So there's a difference, too. In the theatrical cut, it just goes to them up on the roof. In the special edition, it's Lucas sitting in the office and he's like, it was perfect. Almost perfect. And then it goes up to the roof, which I kind of wish they had kept that in the original version because it, it just flows okay, so well. So in the original version, Lucas did the monologue in the beginning too, right? Okay, so in the in the original version, he's counting the money and he's looking like he's getting done and someone knocks on the door. A woman comes to the door and she's like, oh, please let me in. Please let me in. He's like, no, it's past midnight. We're closed. And she's like, oh, just for one thing. And she comes in and... Uh, she says something like, do you think the cards are laid out for us? Or do you think that one courageous, brave moment could change everything? And Aaron's face right now is great, you guys. Because he's just like, what? And um, This is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So, then- so in, in, the, in the special edition that I saw, Lucas just monologues through the whole thing. Talking about, really? yeah. They, huh. He has like four or five lines. It's totally stupid. It's like he's narrating the movie. I, I remember that from seeing the special edition, but it's not in the original one. It's terrible. But then in the end, where he, when he does the thing where he says, not entirely perfect, it's a callback to that. They had to do it. Otherwise, it would be so weird. Yeah. But the, no, it's it's funny because she's like, you know, one brave, courageous act could change your future. And then it goes to him playing with the drumsticks and drinking his right, beer and smoking, right, his, right. you know, all of that stuff. Um, so it's it's kind of an interesting transition, but it's just so funny that it's not in the original or it's not in the special edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, it's strange. very cool. Anyway, so then we go up to the roof and they play. This is the day. By the, the. The, the is the way I always thought The, it. the. Yeah. It's a stupid fucking name. It is really stupid. The worst band name ever. They probably would have been way more successful. They were actually pretty fucking successful. Yeah. Yeah. Eat your words, Huge. Aaron huge band and they're great too and that is my favorite song on this soundtrack mine too this is the day yeah it's a great song i listen to it all the time if i ever need to pick me up i just pull it up on pandora or whatever and everyone's dancing on the roof and it's all magical and the signs lit up because through the whole movie the sign has been broken yeah that's right and it's only until Corey comes up to the roof and she tells aj that she also loves him that she just didn't know that it was love. She just thought it was something different and that, you know, you're so talented and you're, I can't believe that you're not going to go through with going to art school. And then AJ's like, I quit. I'm going to move to Boston to be close to you. And then they kiss and the sign lights up and it's, yeah. and then everybody's dancing and it just ends on such a magical. It's really kind of a cathartic ending. You know, is. everything kind of falls into place. They They have a nice kind of calm, cheery song to end the movie off with and and that's it but the fun thing the the thing that i was thinking about is that it's different from where they started everything is completely different from where they started that's i true. mean joe owns the store Corey and aj are dating and they're both going to boston and gina's gonna be in a band and the, like all of this stuff like their whole lives have changed within yeah. the span of 24 hours they met warren they met warren. i love warren i don't know why i love warren he's my favorite <laughs> warren's great Dude's um, just batshit crazy. 
old enough to kick your butt through your skull right. and have your brain splatter across the <laughs> the wall. Yeah, he's a juvenile. He, yeah, he's a juvenile. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great line. But yeah, yeah that's uh, that's Empire Records. Yeah, Empire Records. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's up there. It's one of those, again, along with Dazed and Confused and Fifth Element that I can just watch anytime. Yeah, so here's the deal. If you're just having a shit day, mm-hmm. put this movie on. Yeah. Or just put on the soundtrack. If you're yeah. from the 90s, like me, the soundtrack will probably uh, make your toes curl up a little bit. Yeah. This is full of music that was really popular when this movie came out. Gin that Blossoms I was way into. everywhere. Yeah. Oh, God. The Gin Blossoms were a weird time. Weird fad. It's good music, though. It is good music. They're Very 90s. I'm surprised. Oh, we had Toad the Wet Sprocket on here, which I Toad the Wet Sprocket's like one of my favorite bands. Like oh. ever of all time yeah i love good. them yeah. i love them they're great yeah their album fear is like the one of the best records ever made it is a pretty good one it's, it's a pretty good one it's insanely good yeah but i mean play that at my funeral def- <laughs> at your living funeral yes <laughs> uh we've also got um sponge on here plowed by sponge when does that play really fucking popular song it's playing during the party when they, when they're selling the Alice in Chains oh, poster. Oh yeah, 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 yeah! Great song. Okay, okay. Because I used to have all of the songs on a CD uh, that I burned. Whoa! From Pirate Napster. Yar. Ooh, <laughs> Metallica's gonna bust in here and kick oh. your ass. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, no, but. I have to go back and find the playlist like on Spotify. I'm sure somebody has made it by now. A playlist with all the songs on there. Yeah, because if you bought the soundtrack CD, you didn't get all the songs. Nope. nope. You didn't get uh, This Is The Day, just, which is criminal. Yeah, that's yeah. like the ending song that wraps everything up and they don't add it on the soundtrack. And it's the Lame. best song on the whole soundtrack. Yeah. They fucked up. Um, but Probably has something to do with international copyright. Maybe. That's what I was thinking. Maybe it's like a copyright issue and they could only put certain songs well, on there. The the is British, so. Oh, yeah, that's right. Perhaps. I don't know that. Curse you, Britain. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Fuck the queen. <gasps> I'm just kidding. God save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for listening. We're still trying to tweak when we release episodes there's so many like theories about what day is the best day to release episodes and you know all of that stuff i think you know maybe we just say fuck that damn the man the best day to release the episode is when it's fucking done when we release it is the best day that's right yeah damn the man save the podcast save the podcast (laughs) wait are we in trouble (laughs) are are we about to get taken over by podcast town (laughs) Um, oh my god no um goddamn capitalism ruins everything (laughs) uh but but again thank you so much for listening thank you for you know the continued followers on on facebook and and spreading the word and and just making this part of your your daily listening yeah we love you guys this is a lot of fun we got people from some uh new countries we got finland we broke it into the market in (gasps) finland oh that's That's awesome yeah that makes me so happy. Isn't that cool? That is yeah. out. That's, so if yeah. any of our Finlandic? Finnish? Finnish? If any go. of our Finnish viewers 
want to write in and just tell us what the fuck it is you're listening to us for because we know you can't understand our language. And because uh, <laughs> they speak like uh, Phoenice. Phoenician. No. They speak Aaron, Phoenician. Stop. No. <laughs> I'm sure that they speak English too. They flap their fins together. That's how they talk. And there goes a, a series our, of clicks and there, whistles. There go, <laughs> there go our Finnish listeners right out the door. Oh no. Hey, I guess I guess when when it comes to Finland, we're finished. <laughs> my my baby would have laughed at that though. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter at DF Cinema. Um, you can also find us on Facebook as Dumpster Fire Cinema. Uh, we also have the website, www.dumpsterfirecinema.com. We also have an email address, which I constantly forget, but I'll post it, you know, on our Twitter. So if you go follow us, you'll find it and then you can send us emails. Yeah, follow us. Send us emails. Tell us what movies you want us to watch because we actually don't know what we're going to do next week. It's a mystery. Oh, shit. It's a mystery, guys. Maybe, uh, yeah, we'll leave it up to you guys. First person to suggest something, we'll just do it. Whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. But. And if somebody suggests something we don't want to do, it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do like a literary film next? Like, like, a, like a film that also has a book associated with it? Maybe one that's pretty divergent from that book? We could do. Like, uh, uh... Like what? What you thinking over there? Well, you've talked about The Shining. <gasps> oh my God, we should so do The Shining. We should do The Shining because I've stayed in that hotel. There you go. Let's do it. Okay. Next week, guys, we're doing The Shining. We're doing The Shining, which means I'm gonna have to read The Shining in a week. Let's not do that. Let's not. You do don't that have to read week. it. You just watch watch the. Well, we can talk about the differences because I've watched the miniseries and you've watched the movie. Well, see, that's kind of what I was. Oh. Mm-hmm. But see, I gotta watch the miniseries too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Damn it! Why do you gotta break our our let's, ideas apart? W- let's put this on the short list. Let, yeah. Let me read The Shining. We could do Fight Club. Ooh, we could do Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, maybe we maybe we'll talk about. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I don't know about Fight Club. Fight Club's great. I love Fight Club. We are professionals and we always are organized, guys. That's true. So, See, the problem with doing Fight Club is you can't, like, I can't edit in. Maybe I'll just edit the word penis in, like, at random places, like, subconsciously. (laughs) Or you'll just be listening and you'll be penis (laughs) in the background. Yeah? I love it. I'm doing it. I love it. Hell yeah. I love it. Mom, don't watch. They'll they'll listen to that episode. We'll make it so subtle she won't even know. (laughs) She won't even know that her ears are being defiled. Does your mom listen to our show? I don't know. Okay. She. I don't know. She might. She might not. I. I don't want to. I don't want to offend her with my language. We love you, Mrs. Jordan. (laughs) Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. We love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dumpster Fire Cinema. Be sure to tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.